0: This is the future and humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages, then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this, you can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight! Fight the Future with Dan and Paul Welcome to Fight the Future with Dan and Paul, the podcast where we review young adult dystopias. And this episode is about the host. The host with the most. Yeah. I'm Dan. I'm Paul. Yeah, and I'm recording this in Italy right now. Right. This one would have been good. Uh, so you you watched this in Italian, of course. I did, of and, course. And uh, this one would have been good. I feel like in Italian there's a a lot of talking between characters that uh, maybe had more more romantic depth in the Italian language. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Lots of ti amo and ti voglio bene, uh, which both mean I love you. I don't know what the difference is. Actually, there's a long thread on some Italian language form about... This guy is writing me TVB for Tivoya What does it mean? Does it mean he's serious or are you just fooling around? Anyway, questions that, uh, this character might ask herself about her own internal parasite. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, there's a lot of dialogue in this movie between the main character and her symbiote alien. Right. Or almost the other way around. Yeah. The, the uh, the thing that I found most interesting is that the character that you're talking that that is in the movie is basically the symbiote and the the human is really uh is really the voice in the symbiote's head not the actual character we're looking at it is interesting, interesting. yeah we're, we're relating to something that is essentially a squidgy alien really? uh bug so i like that about it i thought this was a really unique movie in that way But, yeah, so it is an example of a dystopia, and it involves teenagers, so it fits well within our criterion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And it also involves feels, uh, so that puts it well within the young adult genre as well. Most definitely. This movie, of course, um, the original story was uh, written by Stephanie Meyer, the same person who wrote Twilight. Yeah. Uh, And there's a great line where she says, You tried to kill me, and now you're protecting me? (laughs) <laughs> just like now, you very, want to make out with me? Yeah, it's a very, very Twilight kind of line, <laughs> right? Yeah. So before we get started, though, I've had an issue with this podcast. There's been an objection that my friend Jim said, "Why young adult dystopias? Why not just all dystopias?" Yeah, he thinks we're going to run out. We should change the premise to dystopias in general. Hmm. I I feel like we are I mean yeah we'll definitely run out although probably not as quickly as Jim thinks we might. No. <laughs> <laughs> and there are more being made every day especially with the success of various movies based on young adult dystopias. I feel like the movie studios are just thrashing around desperately going through all their all the you know high school libraries. Trying to find as many different young adult dystopias as they can and immediately option them. Yeah, and they're not going to run out of novels either. Yeah, but yeah, I I think there is a value and a, a distinct difference between the sort of like young adult dystopia is a distinct genre from just straight dystopias. Or or at least it, there are it's sort of quantifiably different at least to me. I agree. Yeah it has a different feeling to it yeah and i mean i mean especially with this movie but with a lot of other ones you know focusing it usually focuses very closely on the actual the relationships between you know a couple of characters as opposed to the world itself it's some it's not so much about systems it's not so much about macho survivalism right right i mean that sometimes contributes to things being a little more flimsy as far as how they're thought out, but has more heart in a way. I guess I'm less interested in that hard extrapolation than I I used to be in. More kind of human possibilities. And and general more abstract themes of control and conformity and all this kind of thing that you're you're interested in when you're a teenager as well. Right, right, of course. I mean that's a big deal in in a lot of these dystopias is, is taking some of the things that teenagers would be concerned about, you know, what your job is going to be, you know, your parents and authority figures and stuff sort of, they tend to be a little bit more sort of relatable to young people. Yeah, yeah. And how are you going to meet cute boys? That's another right. big part of it. Very important. Very important aspect. I mean, like, I just thought of this, but if you look at it, the Diary of Anne Frank is sort of a post-apocalyptic young adult story. I hope that's not tasteless to say. But it's about uh, a, an incredibly horrible environment and survival of hmm. a teenage girl. And yeah, she doesn't just think about survival. She's thinking about normal teenage girl stuff, too. It's not just about survival ever. Right, right. Okay, so young adult it is. Young adult, yeah the story. In each episode, we like to start by running through the plot. It helps us uh, get grounded for the rest of the episode, for listeners, and also for me, because I watch it in Italian, I do not catch every detail. So Paul's (laughs) going to help me out with this. And uh, of course, spoiler alert, if for some reason you decided to download this podcast about a movie that you didn't see and are excited to see. uh, 2012. Uh, Then yeah, there's going to be spoilers. So, we are starting with the everything is great because aliens are in control. Yes. It starts after the complete victory of the aliens. Mm -hmm. Almost complete. What I find actually particularly interesting is we're not even sure how the victory happened, but it happened. Yeah. It doesn't show us scenes of the resistance. No. It's two years after the total victory. Yeah, and so everybody is now, uh, all people are just hosts for these kind of um, bundles of fiber optic cable looking kind of alien parasite thingamajigis. To me, they look like house centipedes, which was a problem for me. Because mm. uh, there's a few things that I hate in the world more than house centipedes. Uh, the fact that they were glowy helped a little bit, but they really had those long leggy things that make me go, Ew. Mm, yeah. Nice thing about at least they're glowing so they can't, you know, hide in dark corners to jump out at you at night. Which is what I assume house centipedes do. We <laughs> let's not talk about it. All right. Okay, so but anyway, so there's no more hunger, no more violence. The environment is saved. Honesty, courtesy, and gentleness is mm-hmm. did you get that as well? Yeah, yeah. Everybody very and I think it's important to say, like, it's not like the people are all kind of blissed out and this is, you know, that, that humans have been kind of, they are, you know, not, not hostile anymore or whatever, like in some other, uh, movies. This is like, they're dead. The humans, like is, humans are dead. Their bodies are being animated like puppets. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing, the, the creature, like the reason why everyone's all nice now is because these aliens happen to be nice. Or whatever happened to be not really super chill, not with con- good with conflict, shall we say? But it starts with us seeing that this heroine, our heroine, uh, Melanie, being chased down. Right. So there are there are a few sort of pockets of people who are still humans, which luckily is very clear, because when you've been taken over by one of these alien things, your eyes go all glowy and blue. Mm-hmm. So there's a very e- it's very easy to tell who's who unless somebody's wearing sunglasses yes so it starts with apparent capture of maybe one of the last people still there and implantation of the symbiote into her through a slit in her neck yeah the rest of the aliens are asked this newly implanted symbiote because they can uh access the the memories of the person that they are taking over the body of just saying okay this is great, you're in the body of this person who is part of the resistance, tell us where the rest of the resistance people are. So it starts off with her being interrogated by, uh, in Italian it's the Cercatrice. What's What's her name in English? Uh, the Seekers. The, the Seekers, seeker. okay. So they're hunting down the last humans, and they're interrogating her to find out where they are, because she was living with some other still human people. But the thing is that the human inside is not dead, Right. Melanie has not actually, yeah, has not died in Left the same the way as most seem to. So let's, let's talk about the alien as, uh, an Italian wayfarer or the translation. Is that what it is? Uh, wanderer. Wanderer. Okay. Uh, so wanderer, we'll say, is, uh, is giving all this information from Melanie's brain and Melanie is trying to fight her. Once in point, a while. Yeah. Melanie I and, and actually starts not only fighting her, but actually basically begging her to not tell her tell this information about her like where her younger brother is. Right. And so through this we get flashbacks to her life of freedom, where she met Jared, for example, who was first encountered her by holding a knife to her neck, and then when he saw with his flashlight that she was human, started making out with her non consensually. Mm hmm. Uh, this was her first human in a while. She punches him in the face, I guess. Yeah, and then runs away. And then he shows that she that he doesn't have the uh, uh, that his eyes are normal. And they're well, like, well, okay. kneeling on her stomach. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, we're the only two humans, so we should hang out. That's who she's trying to protect: Jared, this hot guy, and also Jamie, yeah, her brother. And so here's what I want you to explain: at some point. She's talking to Wanderer, who's in control of her body. She's just a voice in Wanderer's head, essentially. Right. At some point, she wins Wanderer over to her side. Wanderer starts to help Melanie. Why? Right. Well, for one thing, Wanderer starts having dreams of Melanie's life. Again, with this hot guy and her brother and how happy they were. And then Wanderer starts to... I think starts to sort of um, feel like she wakes up from this dream feeling a residual amount of the love that Melanie had for Jared. or So she starts to sort of feel some of the things that Melanie was feeling. And so when she finally actually like gets, basically gets the answer she's looking for by going through Melanie's memories, she gets this image of this sort of place in the desert and she's sort of about to draw it, and Melanie goes, please, you know, that's where my brother is, please destroy that, and she does. Yeah, Yeah. so um, Wanderer has a moment of kindness and weakness. Yeah. And then uh, Melanie kind of manipulates the hell out of her. Yeah, yeah. To the point where she uh, they escape together. Yeah, I mean, Melanie is kind of an asshole. (laughs) Not an asshole, but but she's uh, very, I mean, she's, at somebody who has been running from these creatures yeah, for no, a very long time. I right? like Melanie. She was really tough and feisty. Very so different from... She wasn't actually afraid to uh, yeah, to manipulate this wanderer who seems actually fairly, um, you know, not actually that strong-willed. Kind no, of she's something of somewhat naive, somewhat easily influenced, I guess you could say. Uh, so they go out and um, steal a car, which is a funny sequence because all that Wanderer has to do is say, could I please have your car? And the guy gives it to her. Yeah, because nobody would ask for a car unless they needed it for something. <laughs> so she drives out into the, on the desert road, and something happens there that I didn't quite get, where they caused her to crash the car. It seems to be that uh, Melanie you know, basically distracts Wanderer by, again, showing her all these memories of awesome times she's had with Jared. Uh, and so as you're driving, it cuts to sort of a, you know, a memory sequence of them hanging out in this nice building and stuff, or this nice, uh, house and having good times. And, and then when it cuts back to them in the car, they're going down like the opposite road, the road going away from where they're supposed to be going and wonders like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you were distracting me. We're supposed to be going the other way and tries to, tr- and tries to turn around and, Melanie actually is able to exert some control over wonders over the body and causes her to crash the car. And where they're crashing is just like in the middle of the desert. Yeah, so she just walks out in the desert and luckily runs into the group of survivors where her brother is. Yeah, She has the world's smallest water bottle as she goes out in the desert, by the way. Yeah, it's like one of those ones that you get on an airplane or something. So yeah, it's lucky that she finds them relatively fast. So she encounters this group of survivors who kind of look like browncoats. Yeah, and they they bring her back to uh, her uncle's has this sort of survival place that's in the the rocks in the the middle of the desert that's hidden from everybody. And then they spend a lot, you know, everyone's really suspicious because she appears to be one of these alien things. And obviously people aren't super stoked about bringing her to their secret hideout. Yeah, there's an absolutely foolproof way of telling who's an alien and who isn't, and she is an alien for sure. Right. Uh, but something to do with her reactions to things and the way she interacts with people, um, gives them some, gives them pause, or gives some of them pause about whether she should just be killed. Yeah. Uh, and eventually she starts to sort of win over various people in this, uh, in this colony that uh, she is sort of one of the good ones, I guess. Yeah. Including her brother who's there. Right. And, and eventually, even though she, she's kind of coy about it at the beginning because she knows people just think that she's making it up in order to save her life. But she eventually does come out with this idea that, that Melanie, who was, you know, a, a valued person in this community and loved by everybody uh, is actually still alive inside her head. It's kind of amazing that they let her in before that point, but anyway. So it's about like fifty people I would say. Something like very that. Very small yeah. community. They're actually growing wheat. Um with a system of mirrors. Yeah, all this whole time the seekers after them. Right. On their trail. But not very but not very effectively. She sort of they kinda of fly around and look and stuff, but they don't do that good a job. Like they're not I don't it doesn't seem like they're, there's that concerted an effort to look for. Like they're not super elite. Yeah, and there's basically just this one seeker that's kind of obsessed with finding her. Yes. Kind of a Javert sort of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she's Valjean. So they go on scavenging hunts. It'd be great if they had a singing number confrontation mm. together. Yeah, this could have oh, been improved. Man. It could be a harmony. Three part harmony. harmony. Yeah. <laughs> so there's scavenging that they're doing, and in one of the scavenging runs, uh, it's mostly the boys. Basically, this settlement is entirely either older people or cute boys. There's no teenage girls. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a lot of trouble telling the cute boys apart. <laughs> like, when it was like, all right, we're going to go off and get some stuff. I was like, wait, was that, was that the cute boy that liked her? Or was that the cute boy that was just looking at her? No, that was happened that the, to me. Because one or of was them that attack- the cute boy that liked uh, the other person? I'm confused. One of them attacked her at one point, And I was like, oh, my. Why would he attack her? They were just making out a second ago and then I realized no way that's totally different cute boy <laughs> with sandy blonde hair that seems to have a little bit of product in it. So anyway, on one of these runs, they're they're surrounded by the the seekers and they uh two of them end up killing themselves rather than be captured and the seeker woman goes nuts and ends up shooting one of her own kind. Right, which is extremely like the Seekers are chasing them and everything, but the Seekers don't actually have weapons themselves. Yeah, they, they have human guns and human shiny cars. Anyway, so uh, Melanie and w- Wander are bonding. Well, Wander, shall we say. When we say she, we're usually talking about Wander. Yeah, or actually, I and they, they actually start calling her just Wanda. Wanda, that's right. Um, she's bonding with people, making out with cute boys here and there. Mm-hmm. And, and there's all sorts of trickiness because she's making out one Wanda is in love with a different guy Ky Melanie is in love with, and so yeah it gets is it very right complicated. Is it wrong? it's like a a a love hypercube love hypercube yeah one two men, one woman, one symbiote and at one point she says, uh I think you're just into this body He's like, no, no." I'd still love you just as much if you were a glowing caterpillar that fitted in the palm of my hand. Seems (laughs) Mm -hmm. unlikely. Yeah. Some of these bodies are brought back from this failed mission, and they take out the symbiotes and stomp on them, essentially. Melanie freaks out, or Wonder freaks out. And in the process of taking out the symbiote, that also kills the... It's not like taking out the symbiote brings the person back to life. Right. That's important later on. Yeah, she freaks out, starts calling them all monsters, which shows that she's received a lot of latitude at this point, Wanda. mm. Then uh, Jamie hurts himself with a sickle while they're harvesting the wheat, and they have an operation to get some medical supplies from the aliens. Right. So the Uh, aliens have some advanced medical technology. Right. There's some business with her needing to make out with Jared to bring back Melanie, who's the streetwise one, to carry off this caper. Right, because, yeah, Melanie sort of goes quiet in her head. And she's like, no, I need to make out with, you know, make out with this guy and bring her back. It's like, first and I'll then, try and make out with Kyle. Nope, that didn't work. All right, now we'll I'll try, make out with Jared. That's how many, yeah. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe if I try making out in, with everybody, somebody will, somebody will bring her back. Yeah, this is somebody's fantasy, not my fantasy. In the end, uh catches up with her in the desert. Get shot by the patriarch of the community. Mm-hmm. And in the process, Wanderer is able to teach them that if you just let the symbiote come out by itself, everything's good. And if you let, you can let, yeah, you can make a little cut and then, yeah, the symbiote, but the symbiote doesn't come out if you're gonna, you know, it can tell whether you're gonna smush it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You put out a little bit of symbiote food. Yeah. And just wait, you wait in the other room, and it'll come out on its own. And then she puts it in the little teeny-weeny spacecraft that they fly around in. Yeah, they look like Nerf footballs. And they're, it's sent into the stars. So yeah. now we've discovered a way that humans can be saved, and the simulates can be saved. So Wanda decides to sacrifice herself so that Melanie can live. Right, so she has this sort of, she realizes, I mean, she knew that this was possible before, but in doing this to the seeker and releasing the seeker from thing and in fact the, the the human who was in charge of the body comes back and is like oh thank you you know it was the worst thing ever um, Wanda realizes that that you know she doesn't have any sort of right to this body and so she decides to sacrifice herself but instead wakes up in another body mm-hmm. who luckily is also a hot teenage girl yes who happened uh, to be actually someone who just died right at that right moment or either died or had her own symbiote i wasn't quite sure whether she or wasn't well liked maybe had her own symbiote removed yeah was unpopular yeah okay let's end there we'll get to the very ending in the last segment which is called hope for the future plausibility so in this segment we talk about how did the world get this way how plausible is that and how does it maintain itself so, I mean, what's interesting about this is what we see of the symbiotes and the society that they live in. They're completely uh, sort of pacifists. Yeah. And in fact, we see one, uh, we see a human uh, just take a swing at one once, and it goes down like BAM! Yeah. It's the lightest kind of little tap, like glass jaw Joe. So this, so this is a, like, I mean, there's this interesting idea of like how they actually took over. Like, was the taking over process much more violent and then they sort of reverted back or did they just kind of quietly do it and nobody really noticed? Except for until the, the guys. Until totally they got different. to a certain point, to a, a tipping point.
1: Yeah. Like it's, how, how, it's can un- they... like,
0: it's unclear how the symbiotes that we see in the movie could possibly have taken over anything when this little group of resistance people are totally, you know, have no problem dealing with them. Yeah, in theory, there's 7 billion of them versus 50 survivors. Um, But they're easily matched. Like, in the movie, no... I don't think... Like, symbiotes never kill anyone in the movie. It's true. I mean, aside from the fact that implanting a symbiote kills everybody kills the person so theoretically right. they've killed 7 billion people or whatever so from the but, symbiote point of view yeah they they don't really see it as killing as such they see it as bettering which is weird because it's not like they are like eh, taking on the personality like they're especially from the beginning like at the beginning when you don't know that they you know the mind can stay um, you know it 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 seems very clear that yeah, these people are definitely dead. There is no ambiguity to this. Yeah. That the the when the symbiote goes in, the host body, the host mind is Kaputski. Yeah. So if even if they don't seem very violent, like they are committing both an act of violence and an act of callousness, the fact right. that they don't see humans as as people. Um, but in any case, yeah. We, without seeing some other kind of technology we can't really understand how they managed to take over the whole planet right but but they have and i mean they talk there's a brief throwaway line where they they say like you know we've as is our custom we're using the infrastructure that they built right yeah which is probably mostly for technical reasons (laughs) (laughs) they seem to be using the infrastructure that humans built except for uh they took all the paint off all their cars and chrome them so up real nice. All the cars are shiny metal- metallic. And uh, they, you know, maybe they don't even like, maybe they didn't even like build stuff. But at least the, the buildings that they choose to occupy are the ones that are all white on the inside with big LCD screens. Yeah, basically they, their style, both fashion and architecture, is Apple Store exclusively. Mm. In fact, they are using Macs at one point. You see them use a wireless <laughs> Apple keyboard. I mean, it's and it's not even it's and but it's Apple Store, but even more white. They, yeah. Everyone wears white. Uh, yeah. Everybody wears the, white pantsuits. That's all. The important. walls are white. Everything is, you know, white is very, uh, very big. Yeah. So they they made a few changes when they established things. A lot more pantsuits. So maintaining, how, how is the society maintained? So I, I mean, it seems fine right I mean the way I mean it's unclear as to whether you become a it's like you travel hundreds of billions of miles over hundreds of years because they don't seem it's not doesn't seem to be like warp speed or whatever they talk about that it takes a long time for them to travel between planets but if you like do all this thing and then you come here and then you get implanted into a body and then you become a garbage man or something like yeah there doesn't seem to be any you know oh we only sort of see the upper class, I guess, or the the sort of white-collar type Yeah, we don't see the pool cleaners, for example. or the um, Maybe that's all technology? I don't know. Like, you don't even really see any technology. Like, the only technology you see is the sort of healing spray stuff. Yeah, they have this one thing, which is a silver box that can either knock you out or fix all of your wounds. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether that was the same box or different boxes. You just (laughs) got (laughs) to be careful which one you do. Yeah, press on the right end of it. (laughs) Oh, ow. Okay, there I go. But you do see people out doing stuff like driving cars or walking around, all with very good posture. That's one thing you get. Uh, And you walk in a sort of dreamlike, good posture way. You see people pushing baby carriages. So it's sort of like life continues, but in a very uh, watered-down way. And they, they talk about that they are much more in harmony with nature and stuff now. Yeah, so we don't see them driving cars around and things, so who knows? Yeah, they're still burning fossil fuels, uh, unless those are like space cars. They are all chromed. It would be nice if we saw them like out communing with nature in the forest. Then they'd just be like Germans. (laughs) So we don't see many sides of the aliens and what they're really like. They just seem, I guess we're supposed to be hit by the horror of this very Apple store world of conformity and peacefulness and that humans are always the randy ones the hustlers right right i do like that you know they talk about that you know humans are so you know uncouth and violent and stuff and then it cuts to you know when they actually finally get to the um uh you know that when when wanda is picked up by the the survivors and they go back to the thing like within five minutes of you seeing the human group. Uh, they want to kill her, and then they get into a big fist fight over whether they're going to kill her or not. <laughs> yeah, they do have some like, points there. And, and then the fist fight is broken up by the uncle like firing his shotgun into the air. Like it does not, it does not portray the human society as being that, uh, uh, you know, as being that well well liked. Yeah. So the survivor so- society maintaining itself seems very uh, tenuous. Mm. Like they're really just living in a cave. Uh with the little scraps of stuff that they can scavenge and some leftover clothes, and yeah constantly on the verge of uh falling apart so mm, what, but they yeah, can, the, what they can they can steal from the uh the sort of enormous uh only gross only one brand grocery store right it I just like says that. food or something on the side. Yeah, yeah, it's like everything's, you know, President's Choice or whatever. (laughs) (gasps) Yeah, apparently aliens don't care about branding. They can just, they still need to go to a place where you can pick... The branding is actually quite strong branding, but there isn't a lot of different brands. Yeah, it's like Helvetica Mm Noi, something like that. They're a big fan of minimalist Swedish type design. Yeah, maybe they're more like Swedish people. (laughs) Like, it has a certain Ikea flavor to it, the the alien store that we see. You don't have to pay for anything, unlike Ikea, but otherwise it's like everything is very mono- monotonic. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, they don't have to do much to maintain it because they've already won. It's yeah. almost entirely aliens. Like, until the end, we don't even realize that there are any other people in the world other than this little group that are about yeah. 50 people. Okay, though, there is something about maintaining... The world, which is that it seems like there's Wanderer is not the only one who has a little voice in her head, essentially right. driving her crazy. Because we discovered that this, the seeker, whose real name, her human name was Lacey, uh, has had this voice in her head, the feisty one. And has just been, but hasn't sort of lived with it like Wonder has. Uh, hasn't made has, friends with it. Has just kind of tamped it down. Yeah, but it's just been screaming at her this whole time. Right. So it's a lot like having schizophrenia or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, maybe I wonder. Uh, yeah, may, and maybe there's like a whole bunch of other ones, other aliens that have this, you know, that maybe almost everybody has the voice in their head, but somebody talks about it. Yeah, or just the voice is content to mostly just be quiet. Yeah, just, just yeah, let's, going know, along with the ride. Doop, doop. Yeah, so, so some people it's not dead. But yeah, other people, theirs really bothers theirs, which is I thought it was very moving in a way to know that this seeker was so tormented because she had this human voice just annoying her all the time. Right, right. Yeah, so in that respect, there may be a little less stability to their culture than it seems on the surface. Uh, and maybe humans are a little more feisty than what they're usually used to dealing with. Right, and they talk about that, that... Uh, you know, that humans are different than, I know, I, I kept imagining that, because they, they mentions a couple times that the last planet that Wanda was on was like an, a water planet or something. Uh-huh. So whether she was just like, were the previous just like fish or something. They're fish, that, yeah. Yeah, or, or, you know, some sort of animals that were not actually, you know, super, uh, I guess, not, not fully sentient or not really aggressive or whatever. Oh, well, that's interesting. That paints their, them in a slightly different light. Like, what if we're all heading to another planet, and suddenly me and all my friends are now fish. We're, we're fish. You know, the fish weren't, didn't have any sentience before, so we could just kind of walk in there and do our thing. Right. But then they refuse to admit that humans have that as well. Scariness. So, Paul, how scary did you find this dystopia? Uh <laughs> I mean it would certainly be scary to be one of the uh survivors people. Mhm. Um yeah. not only scariness from the uh perspective of, you know, hiding from the uh seekers and hiding from the aliens, but also just your fellow survivors aren't necessarily fully trustworthy either. No. it was a very macho patriarchal group of guys right i mean it, especially since the you know patriarchal in the most absolute sense yeah there was a patriarch guy, played the by guy william who hurt ran ran everything it was like this is my place i am king this is a dictatorship right this is not a democracy well why isn't it a democracy i mean you come from america right you are trying to keep he, society together i guess cuz he provided the house it's his house yeah right but yeah it's a little bit grim like you get that things are not very stable there they've just managed to grow some food for right week. right so yeah right. the survivors are the scariest part in a way yeah it would be scary to walk around and see all these people with glowy eyes but they're i mean they're they're chill they're they're just doing their thing yeah so it was low scariness unless you really thought about it billions of people dead yeah, I mean it's sort of the the very uh the very relaxed genocide essentially. Yeah, it's kind of like we all went to a spa and never came back. You know, I it, I was actually thinking uh, one of the thing like you know there there's obviously this this concept of the sort of body snatcher thing uh is not that uncommon uh trope in in sort of sci-fi. Uh and if, if it was a situation where, you know, you're still the sort of voice in the head and reliably, which obviously in this case, it's not. That only happens occasionally. But, um, if you, if there is a situation where you're like reliably the voice in the head, you know, you wonder what would happen if aliens came down and were like, Hey, this is a thing. Anybody do any volunteers who want to, uh, you know, hang out with us? I wonder how far they would get. That people would volunteer for that, maybe. Yeah. That, yeah. the, you know, people who... Uh, Here, who, yeah, you take controls for a while. Yeah, you can have kind of a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, mm. but it's also a, a horrific idea, too, of being trapped in this body that's just doing things. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's really all dependent on your relationship with the symbiote or whatever, the, the, the alien thing, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just... why I like this. It's a metaphor. Yeah, like we see that the the seeker for for the the woman whose body the seeker was using, it was horrible, because right. not only was not only was you know she being shuttered down and stuff, but her body was being used to attack her own people. Right. So there you go. It's a, we have two examples: one where someone has made peace with the voices in their head, and made friends with them. They call each other sisters at the end. Mm-hmm. And one who's at war with her own inner voice. How would they do? So in this segment, we talk about how we do in this scenario and imagine ourselves in this dystopia. So I'm going to start. I was thinking about what role I'd like to play, and I would like to be a seeker. So not mm. not the main seeker lady, because she seemed to have a lot of responsibility on her shoulders. I'd like to be a, like a secondary seeker, like a special agent in this world. So I would. my job would be hunting down... Little pockets of humanity and converting them. Uh, now I had a little struggle with myself. That isn't that evil. Uh, isn't that fantasizing about killing people? But if I was one of these aliens, I wouldn't see it that way. I would see it as liberating them. So, right, and I, I mean, presumably there's like a big backlog of uh, of symbiotes waiting for implantation. <laughs> That's right. There's a waiting list. So all my all my buddies are looking for people. I don't know if inhabit. you get to choose, you know, ooh, uh, I'll wait for the next one, that's, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> Oof, that one's got a lot of warts. The reason why I would like to be this is because basically the lives look pretty boring otherwise of the aliens, but they look comfortable. So mm. I could live, you know, if you have any illnesses, they're healed by this magic spray. But then I get to drive, like, a super shiny racing car at top speed uh, out to find the survivors. I mean the not-yet-enlightened, right, and uh, capture them using cool weapons. I guess they don't use weapons, you're saying, but anyway. Overwhelming force of numbers and such. But I would also like to work my way into their ranks and get information to find the next group. And the reason why I think this would be possible is because that's what Wanderer does. She's mm. taken in by this group of people who knew her human self Uh, very quickly. Like, they trust her almost immediately. I think part of it is that she was very nice and flattering. She would say things like, Earth is the best planet I've seen in my 1,000 years. Yeah. You're all great. I'm going to make out with you. So that's when I would get all the information I needed. And then every once in a while, you have you just kind of stop and go, Oh, yeah, Daniel says that... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you oh, wait. Kind of get kind of a far-off look in your eyes. For oh, a oh, Daniel says, oh, he misses you very much, and he loves you. And he says that you should give me the, the entrance codes. Because <laughs> it will help yeah. in our resistance plan. Uh, and then, you know, when they're not looking, little neck slit, in goes the bug, and we're good. Right. I feel like uh, a judicious use of contact lenses might be good, too. That's true, yeah. Nobody thinks of that. Brown contact lenses, very effective. Or, or the shiny contact lenses for the resistance people. Sunglasses seem to be as, about as far as they can go. <laughs> right. And considering that nobody else in the entire world wears sunglasses, it's not really that good a disguise. <laughs> right, nobody wears sunglasses. So just wearing sunglasses immediately gives you away. Right, it, it, Basically, the the resistance is incredibly dumb in this, and so are the aliens, and also very docile. I like so the. Like, I would be I the like smartest, the, toughest person in this world, essentially. I like that the aliens are dumb in that, Like the humans, it doesn't make any sense because we know what humans are capable of. But I like the idea, you know, that the aliens maybe aren't really equipped for any of this. No, this is not their comfort zone by a long shot. Like the Seeker's job is normally to, you know, find the. Whatever fish that are just kind of hanging out and nobody's noticed yet, right? That oh, there it is under the rock. Yeah, that's yeah, normally what the seeker does. They have really good eyesight. That's the, yeah. The the whole the action sequence thing is not part of their normal vocabulary. Okay, you go. Well, I mean, I think it would be like as freaky. You you would be under under some, uh, you know, it would be concerning. But to be a survivor again. You know, I feel like I could be pretty good as a survivor, you know, if the guy, if the uh if, if somebody comes in with the glowy eyes, I would, you know, be much more super much more cautious about the whole thing than I think most of the survivors are. Also, once I figured out that you can basically just go in anywhere and say, like, hey, can I have that stuff? As long as they think that you're one of the aliens, then the whole stealing thing becomes much easier right because people will always give you whatever you want and they only use the eye test so you're right if you de- just develop contact lenses the world then, is your oyster yeah yeah and like there's you know in there, when they're doing the uh when when they're they're like doing their first raid or they're stealing stuff and like a whatever a security guard or just a random dude comes by and is like hey what's up uh you know they like grab him and knock him out or whatever and take him back to, and they're like loading. They give him one little tap on the chin and he goes down. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not clear that that guy actually would have been any kind of danger whatsoever. Like I don't, it doesn't seem like an individual, uh, an individual alien who isn't a, you know, specifically a seeker would have any kind of, you know, wouldn't be, would be able to deal with a human at all. Really. I see. I mean, the sunglasses approach must have worked in the past. Yeah, Otherwise they seem stupid. to they seem to work because you know again the seekers the 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 aliens don't seem to notice that only the only the humans are wearing sunglasses. I like the moment when they're they're riding down the highway and they both take off their sunglasses together. Like, yeah, we don't need these now. Yeah, we're in That's, the clear. They are running down the highway in the desert. Like, why not wearing just sunglasses, keep the sunglasses. Are perfectly yeah. fine? And. Uh, Okay, so you would be a, a, a smart version of the survivors. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't even need, like, a gun. I mean, obviously, a person with a gun could seems like they could pretty much do whatever they want. But even a person with, like, a crowbar or, you know, a big wrench or something, like, any kind of weapon would basically make you un- unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> you could go, hey, check out that over there, citizen. They'd turn around and bap. Whack, yeah. So you'd be quite violent. No, not necessarily, but the fact that I have the potential to be quite violent would give me a massive advantage, because the other people don't seem to be able to be violent at all. Yeah, only this class of Seekers and such. And she was only really violent because she was, like, insane. Like, she she freaked out all the other Seekers by being violent. Yeah, I mean, humans, uh, this alien race is very peaceful. It's only contact with humans that forces them to become violent we corrupt mm-hmm. them in a way hope for the future so i had trouble following what happened right at the end of the movie it says flash forward a few months maybe you can run us through that okay so we go forward a few months and i mean for one thing wanda is being uh, has been implanted into a new body and so then yeah so just later on they are driving i guess they're going to another do 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 another raid or something so yeah they're 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 driving through the city Wanda and Melanie now in their own bodies and plus a few of the cute boys and they're they're driving through the city um and all the humans are wearing are, are wearing sunglasses because of course. They're being incognito and they get stopped by some seekers and the seeker gets out and you know immediately that it's going to be bad because this seeker is wearing black and so he comes out and the first thing he goes is, "You guys are wearing sunglasses at night," which immediately, so already, this guy's like way above the other seekers, <laughs> right? It's like this is a threat we've never dealt with before. Yeah, they've evolved. They all grudgingly take off their sunglasses, uh, and we see the, and, <laughs> the, know, the jig was up at that the point. <laughs> seeker shows sees that it's only only one does uh, an actual alien. He goes, "You know, are you uh, are you uh, a prisoner?" And she goes sort of defiantly no you know they're my friends and then there's plus sort of this a, guy we hook up once in a while yeah it's complicated okay so then a uh and there's you know a very a very tense moment and then this guy goes oh good there's other people who are not big dicks so and it turns out that this that the stop the car that stopped them is also filled with humans and there's just one of the aliens there who happens to be the seeker guy or this huh. guy who is pretending to be a seeker Ah, uh, and it turns out that that is, and they're like, oh, good, we thought we were the, or no, oh, now, uh, and so, you know, our team goes like, oh, we thought we were the only humans around, and the other people are like, yeah, we thought too, until we found some others, and now you guys are the fourth group of humans that we've encountered. Right, and and it's, but it's like Seekers and humans. Uh, right, So or, or aliens and humans. And so the idea that, that Wanda isn't the only one who's switched sides. Right, and they kind of have just come to this conclusion independently. Right. So that means that probably there are lots of pockets around the world. Like, if humans are really different, then uh, this has got to break out spontaneously all over the planet. Yeah. I guess. So that is quite hopeful. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, it's because, like, I, I was writing in, I, I was, you know, uh, one of the notes I wrote um, is, like, what are the resistance planning on doing? Like, what is their objective? They can, you know, stay, but it's not like they, they're trying to, like, they're not going to be able to destroy, like, the, the aliens. And if they drive the aliens off, that's also the entire population of the planet. Right? Like, it's like, what is the resistance trying to do? Right. Um, and then of course we find out, you know, by the end of the movie that you can actually release the people. So now they have a thing that they can do. Um. So the people are always there. They're not actually dead after all. Right. I mean, it's not... We don't actually find out whether... Like, the only person we actually see being released is another person who was able to maintain her consciousness. I, I guess it's. it doesn't actually explicitly say that the people who just kind of, you know, who seem to just kind of fade away and don't actually impact their alien at all, whether they actually have... Or whether they're able to be released like the wimps yeah yeah I, I i got i got kind of annoyed with that was like if you're strong willed it's like Nr-nr-nr. all right yeah so yeah i guess their plan is to go and find other groups of humans and uh, just gradually start freeing it like i mean you can sort like of like would they kidnap people and then yeah, you, you i mean you can see at some point i mean it would take a long time there's a lot of a lot of people in the world Presumably, have all been taken over, but a chain reaction, right? And so, you can see that there could be a time that either everyone would be released or that you know the humans and the aliens would sort of be living in some kind of harmony situation. But, but why harmony though? I mean, we've seen that most of the aliens think nothing of uh evicting the human and taking over their body. Like, wouldn't it be more of a consciousness raising effort that hey, you know, these are not like your fish? Uh, it's not okay to take over a human body. Maybe they can move all of the all of the aliens into like you know fish or you know badgers or whatever some yeah, other fuck animal. badgers. Let the aliens have them. Yeah, move them into some animals that we don't really like very much. Uh huh. Yeah, like what's the most loathsome animal? <laughs> move them actually into house centipedes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Don't do that. Then we'd have conversations with house centipedes. (laughs) They'd be in politics. It's all very, you know, hopeful as far as... But I think it's going to take a lot more to get people to willingly give up their bodies. I think it's going to be a little rough before it gets easier. Mm. But at least there's a symbol of hope there in Wanda and Melanie. It's quite lovely, actually. Wanda, no. Stop You are not going there. What about Jared? This is very complicated. Is there any way Melanie can give us some some privacy? Look the other way a moment, step into the other room? You wish. I don't think that's possible right now. You know... really me you like. It's this body. You couldn't care for me. If you could hold me, me, in your hand, you'd be disgusted. You'd crush me. You don't know that. Wanda, no! No! This is so wrong. You're not even from the same planet. I'll do something. I'll hurt him. Strange to be in a body. let me use it. Okay, great. So we've talked about the host. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. And join us next week for a little something different. We've got a book this time. Called "Devil on My Back" by Monica Hughes, and a reminder that this podcast, as with everything on Loading Ready Run, is supported by our Patreon at patreon.com/loadingreadyrun. Our theme song is by Bradley Rains, and all the interstitial segments are by Kiara Kant. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please subscribe, rate, or review it on iTunes. And uh, you can also give us feedback on our forums at loadingreadyrun.com slash forum. So until next time, may the odds always be with you. May the odds be ever in your favor. Fuck. All right. Goodbye. Thanks, Paul. All right. Bye. (laughs) Amo. <laughs> Perfect. Perfetto